This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Liz, how are you this morning? I, I'm really happy we have Francis Springer on today. Uh, you know, he uh, was a uh, deputy uh, deputy sheriff down in Lauderdale County before he went to law school at Mississippi College. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm proud to always have uh, Mississippi College graduates on, too. I know that... Uh, Former Dean Jim Rosenblatt is one of our uh, regular listeners, and uh, he did a lot for that school, and so we want to let him know that we feature his graduates as well. So welcome, Francis. We're glad to have you on. Thank you, Professor. It's great to be here. Oh, Lauderdale County. I hope that there wasn't a lot of damage from the storms last night. I know. I think I'm, we mentioned some of that on the tornado warnings. I saw it was getting rough over there, but I haven't heard of anything specifically myself. All right. Well, this morning we want to talk about some of the legal issues to be aware of this holiday season. There's a lot of people traveling uh, in, in your car. There's lots of rules, and sometimes people get a little bit lax about those while they're driving in their car, whether it's giving an officer enough space, whether it's maybe you know having a little bit of spirits before you drive, maybe driving a little too fast. There's other arrangements that are extra special during the holiday season. Um, tell us, uh, how was it when you were a deputy sheriff? How did, how did you approach and how do uh, law enforcement officers approach the holidays? Sure. For quite some time, there have been periods established around holidays for enhanced enforcement. Uh, some of those are funded with grants from the federal government that uh, provide for overtime and specific uh, patrols for DUI and for impaired drivers in other ways. And uh, that usually runs from just before maybe Christmas Eve to after New Year's. So there's uh, usually more officers on the roads during those times. So when you're when you were a police officer, and I know you you think about this from the defense side because part of your practice is uh, criminal defense, and you do family law and employment law and wills and probate as well. But let's talk about it from the criminal defense side. Uh, when you're assessing as a police officer, you know how to make a traffic stop. What what kind of things do you look for so that people may be aware of those this holiday season? Well, the number one thing I think any police officer looks for or observes before they stop a vehicle is a violation of the law. Either someone possibly has run a stop sign, has an expired tag, maybe speeding, uh, maybe tint too dark on the windows. Anything like that that's a perceived violation of the law is what an officer has to have and most have before they stop someone. Some of the other things they look for, you know, is location, time, day, where they are to determine when and where to make a safe stop. I, you mentioned the tent. I want to bring something up. This is my soapbox. All right. I was in Jackson. There was a vehicle, and I assumed that car could see out, but certainly it was as black as the black car that it was. You know, hopefully the, win, the front windshield was light enough. 
And it also had a license plate with a bubble kind of plastic coating over it that was smoky. And if you were maybe three or four feet from the license, you could read it. But otherwise, you couldn't read out that license plate. Are any of those actually pulling over and stopping offenses? Or if a police officer wanted to make a point, could they follow along behind someone until they made a stopping offense and then give them a ticket? Mention some of that a little bit. Good question. Good question. Well, the vehicle that you described, I think, would get stopped by just about any police officer. I know if I was back working that that one would get stopped for me. Uh, The tent law is, is unique because deputy sheriffs can't enforce it as highway patrolmen can or some city police officers can. But the tag being... Uh, I guess not clearly displayed. That's definitely going to be a, a key factor for a traffic stop. Uh, and the hardest part about the tent is you can't see out as well with tent, so it, it creates a potential hazard. And uh, that's one reason the law has the limits that it does have, not only so you can see in, but so you can see out safely. Well, and I know when we were driving along in the minivan, the kids, no, none of the kids wanted to sit in the front seat because they couldn't see their Game Boy as well <laughs> with uh, the Mississippi summers and the sunshine. So they liked being farther back with more tent, but the front passenger and the front driver window didn't have as much tent. But I would also assume for off Officers that do have the ability to pull a car over, that's got to be a scary thing to come up upon a car that is so dark that they can't see in. Well, it's definitely an officer safety issue. I think that's been been an issue for many, many years. Um, and tent in a lot of vehicles, and I think the one you're describing, comes from the factory like that. The rear windows are tinted darker than the front windows or windshield, and those are generally legal. Uh, what the law is regulating in Mississippi generally is secondary tent or tent put on by an owner of a vehicle. And, uh, yes, yeah, stopping a vehicle with, with tinted windows tends to make an officer a little more alert and uh, maybe looking a little deeper than they would what's that not there. All right. Well, this morning we are speaking with attorney Francis Springer from the Springer Law Firm. We are talking about legal issues to be aware of this holiday season. If you have a question, we would love for you to participate with our show. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Now, folks, don't wait till the very end because we run out of time. We don't we don't get uh, Mr. Springer here all day. So we need to get your calls in early. But if you do think of something later, you can send an email. We can pass that along to get an answer. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Well, you know, one thing that, uh, Liz, I think people want to know is, uh, and I, I, I have a young driver, and she got pulled over for the first time because she didn't have her lights on at night. It was just one of those mistakes. Uh, you know, the, the car usually is on auto. She thought it was on auto. And the police officer could not have been nicer, but she was also very nice to him. And so, you know, she, she got a warning. Do you have advice, you know, for people? You obviously have to deal with them a lot of times after they've already been arrested and gotten in trouble. But what would your advice be on how people should react? 
react to being pulled over? That's a that's a very good question, interesting one. Uh, since you did bring up the differences from being a police officer and from also representing someone who may have been charged by a police officer, looking at both of those things, one thing that goes a long way is courtesy and respect to the officer. That doesn't necessarily mean that you won't be charged or won't receive a ticket, but it could be like in, in the case of your daughter where you don't get a ticket. Uh, I think everybody enjoys respect. Uh, and respecting that officer, regardless of whether you think the officer is right or wrong, especially on the side of the road during the traffic stop, I think can go a long way. I, I've, I've heard uh, other people suggest... You know, take us through some of the steps on what someone should actually do. What should, where should their hands be? What should the window be? Where should their wallet and their insurance cards? so that there isn't any kind of misunderstanding. That, that does kind of grow off of the respect. The officer sees respect as sometimes a little bit differently than the, the driver or the person being stopped. But what you want to do, I think, when you're when you're stopped by a police officer, is realize that that officer is concerned for their own safety. They don't know when they're approaching the vehicle whether this is someone who just accidentally disobeyed a traffic law or if this is a criminal that's traveling that may or may not think this officer knows what they're up to. So that puts a police officer in a very uh, tough predicament in approaching a vehicle and having to make those determinations immediately. So what the driver would want to do is keep their hands where they can be seen by the officer. If the window's down, perhaps the left hand outside the car, the right hand on the steering wheel, or both hands on the steering wheel. And the passengers of the vehicle the same way. Just keep their hands where they can be seen. And don't make any quick jumps or reaches for anything. If the officer says, I need to see your license and insurance card, don't jump and reach for the glove compartment. I'll say, officer, well, my insurance card, proof of insurance is in the glove compartment. May I reach for it? And uh, the officer will probably say yes. Um, The officer may also order the driver out of the vehicle, and they can do that under law. He can also order all or any passenger out of the vehicle, and you have to comply with that. And one thing I have seen lately is a lot of people, well, I can't say a lot of people, but there are many videos about this. People will ask that officer to see their supervisor before they comply. There is absolutely no right for that. So that's not going to do anything but convolute the situation. You know, Francis, one, one thing that uh, does concern me, I, you know, I know sometimes, uh, especially, you know, having daughters, I mean, if they were pulled over by a an unmarked car, there are stories about how, you know, those turn out not to be police officers, but rather predators. Would, what should someone do if, if they are, they're not sure that that's actually a police officer behind them? What are some advice you might have? That's that's actually something that's going on in the Jackson metro area now. There have been reports of, of people on I-20 uh, trying to stop drivers that are not law enforcement. And one has actually, I think, been arrested, if I remember right, was in Pearl. Uh, the best thing to do is to drive to a safe location, obey the speed limit. If you do have a telephone or something, try to call 911 from that location. That should go to that officer's dispatch or someone that's familiar with the area. And just tell them what type of vehicle you're driving, where you are, and that someone is behind you with blue lights or whatever color lights they have, and you think they're trying to stop you. They can usually confirm if that is a police officer or not. And if it's not, you'll see a police officer pretty soon. All right.
right. Well, we need to take our first break. We're so delighted to have attorney Francis Springer from the Springer Law Firm with us. If you have questions about the laws concerning traffic stops or DUIs or anything holiday related, holiday time, give us a call. Our number is one 877 mpb ring That's one 877 672-7464. You could also send us an email to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We've got some tips from the National Safety Council on staying safe this holiday season. We'll tell you about some of them when we come back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Now, to stay safe on the roads over the holidays and every day, here's some advice from the National Safety Council. Make sure every person in the vehicle is properly buckled up, no matter how long or how short the distance traveled. Put that cell phone away. Many distractions occur while driving, but cell phones are the main culprit. Designate a sober driver to ensure guests make it home safely after a holiday party. Alcohol or over-the-counter prescription and illegal drugs can cause impairment. This morning, we're talking about ways to stay on the right side of the law this holiday season with attorney Francis Springer. And Mr. Springer practices in the area of employment, criminal defense, wills and probate, and family law. And we do have a call who's come in. Let's go to Louisville and speak with David. Thanks for calling in, too, in legal terms today, David. Well, thank you for taking my call. Good morning, uh, uh Mr. Springer and Dean uh, Gershwin. Good morning. Good to hear both of you this morning. I've enjoyed the show so far, and uh, let me preface my question by saying I certainly don't anticipate getting stopped by a law enforcement officer for any traffic violation. But in the event I should be pulled over, I carry a weapon in my car. How should I uh, alert the officer as to that effect? That's a good question, uh, David, and thank you for that question. That's uh, something that uh, even affects me. 
uh, what you want to do, in my opinion, from looking at it from the legal perspective and from the officer's perspective, if it's not in sight and it's going to be a short stop, maybe you're going through a, a driver's license check or something like that, I wouldn't necessarily even mention it. Uh, if you're stopped for a perceived traffic violation, even though you may not have committed the violation, and the officer approaches, you may want to let him or her know that there is a firearm in the vehicle and where it is and that you're not going to reach for it. But you're not required to do that by law in Mississippi. But the last thing you want to do is make a quick jump and grab the gun to show the officer or something like that because that could be perceived as a uh, threatening action. Uh, but that's a, a really good question. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, again, I enjoyed the show very much. appreciate your uh, service to the community. Thank, thank you, you, David. David. We Thanks, are David. glad that you're listening. All right. Well, let's, you know, one of the things that seems like this time of year, Liz mentioned uh, the problem, you know, of alcohol and, and drugs this time of year, uh, especially alcohol. Lots of people going to parties and, you know, having celebrations. Right. Uh, so and, and obviously, I think the advice we'd all give people is don't don't drive. You know, that's I, I tell my daughters, just get a get a lift, get an Uber, you know, get there are too many ways to get home now safely without driving. But I agree. But, so what, I mean, but what exactly is a DUI? What does that mean? Sure, sure. DUI just stands for driving under the influence, and that's uh, a term that's used differently by different states. Sometimes it's a DWI, driving while influenced, but in Mississippi it's DUI, driving under the influence. And the statute reads that the person is suspected of driving under any substance that could impair their ability to safely operate a motor vehicle. So that's not limited to alcohol. That's not limited to uh, illegal drugs. That can be prescription drugs. NyQuil. It could be NyQuil. <laughs> it could be over-the-counter drugs. And if you notice on things like NyQuil, there's usually a warning on there. Don't take or don't operate heavy machinery until you know how this affects you. So, you know, it is the individual driver's responsibility to safely operate that vehicle. And if they're under the influence of any of those things, they could be facing a judge to defend that. So that, that would include, I know we don't allow uh, marijuana use in in Mississippi, but one of the, que- the concerns they have in states that uh, have legalized marijuana, like Colorado and California, is that that also has given rise to uh, driving while in influenced or intoxicated uh, issues as well. That, that has, and, it's, and like you say, Mississippi, uh, there's no legal use for marijuana at this time. So... The only way to detect the presence of that is through a bread, oh, excuse me, not a bread, a blood, breath, or urine test. And currently, right now, that's done with urine, but I've read there are developments coming up with like breathalyzers for testing marijuana impairment. Uh, but that's a, a far away, I think, from Mississippi, but it's, it's coming. That's really interesting. Now, what, you talked about a breathalyzer. So let's say I'm pulled over for DUI because I, I haven't used good judgment and I get behind my wheel even though I've been drinking. And uh, can I, do I have to take the breathalyzer test? No, you do not. Uh, Mississippi allows any driver, basically, well, let me back up just a minute. It's understood and implied by anyone that gets behind the wheel of a vehicle on a Mississippi roadway that they submit to a blood breath or urine test of their system for the presence of impairing substances. That person, though, can refuse that. And if you refuse that, 
you can be charged additionally to the DUI. You're probably going to be charged with DUI depending on the probable cause the officer has and his ability or her ability to uh, show your impairment. But you're additionally going to receive an administrative suspension just for refusing the test. And there are other penalties that could come later from the refusal of the uh, the breath, blood, or urine test. But no, you do not have to take it. No, it's interesting because you mentioned that if we get behind the wheel, we, we actually uh, sign certain agreements, but also implicitly sign certain agreements. We had a caller one time saying that uh, requ- being required to wear a seatbelt was an infringement on his rights. And, and to some extent, so is a stop sign, you know, but, but we agree when we get on the road to follow certain rules and, and uh, you know, for our own safety. And, and so, you know, that's part of giving up some of those freedoms to have the privilege of driving. And one of those is, is that. But sorry, so let's say I refuse to take a breathalyzer test. Uh, then what is, what's going to happen next? What's the officer going to do? If you refuse the test, the officer is going to seize your driver's license, and it's going to be sent to the Department of Public Safety because your license will be suspended at that point. Uh, and, again, that's a separate suspension from anything that would come from a DUI conviction. And that suspension runs consecutively with any other suspension. So say it's a first offense DUI refusal, there's a 90-day administrative suspension, and then there could be another suspension from a conviction of DUI. And that would kick in after the first one was up. So there are penalties for or that come with refusing, but it's still a right. Right. So, so when you've got a client come that comes to you and they've been uh, arrested uh, for DUI, what what types of legal assistance can you give someone in that situation? A person that's been arrested for anything really needs an attorney. Um, I don't recommend anyone go to court without an attorney. But for a DUI, there are different defenses that could be brought up. There are not very many in Mississippi because Mississippi is a pretty tough state on DUIs. But some of the things to look for, or was there another substance that was detected besides, say, alcohol? Because sometimes there's residue that gets into your breath that could affect the, the results of a breath test. So there are many different things there to look at. Also, there is the ability to get a first offense DUI, what's called non-adjudicated. That's where you go through the system, and basically the DUI is kept off your record if you comply with all of the provisions of the court. And that does take a guilty plea or either a finding of guilt. And an attorney can walk you through that much better than you can on your own. And the prosecutor can't represent the defendant. So anyone that walks into court without any attorney, and some courts have public defenders, but the person's going to have to be on their own. And that's a tough place to be when you're accused with a crime. We're talking today with attorney Francis Springer. We want all of our listeners to have a happy, healthy holiday season, and we, I'm sure would, your families would like that, too. So we're going to talk today about legal issues that someone could possibly face during the next few weeks with the holiday parties, the extra driving that goes on to grandmother's house or wherever. But if you have a question that you'd like uh, to get to find out what the law is that uh, Mr. Springer and Professor Gershon could help you out with, give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you could send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. 
Can I I go back to one thing Professor Gerson said just a moment ago about the gentleman that didn't like, I guess, or think the government should be able to tell you you have to wear a seatbelt? An interesting thing that that was done on the driving course, uh, I think we did this in the academy, if I remember correctly. It's been a little while. But to make a point about that, we had a pursuit vehicle and an offender vehicle. Uh, on the course, and one of the two, we did it both ways, was not allowed to wear the seatbelt. The other one was. And the one with the driver wearing the seatbelt had better control, better times on the course than the one not seatbelted. So I used to think, well, the seat, wearing a seatbelt doesn't affect anybody but me, and that's not necessarily true. It can't affect the other drivers on the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can I, can I ask about uh, just, you know, general, uh, not traffic stops, but uh, a lot of times there'll be checkpoints, right? And uh, and so, you know, we talk about the fact uh, that police need a warrant to search, uh, uh, you know, or, or have, have to have probable cause to pull you over. So wh- how come police set up checkpoints where they stop everybody? That is a very contentious issue in some regards because that is a stop from a free movement along the highway or across the country of an individual. The courts have reasoned that there are known violations out there just in general. And the courts have said that that limited stop to check a driver's license, which belongs to the state anyway, uh, to check a tag to make sure it's it's in place and to make sure that the vehicle is covered by insurance or the driver's covered by insurance is not an unreasonable search. So those checkpoint licenses and even DUI checkpoints, as long as they're set up correctly according to statutory or uh, case law or legal, and uh, checkpoints for anything other than that, though, are not necessarily legal. Well, that's, you know, we, we do submit to that. I think I always appreciate the fact that they're out there because you know, the idea is, I think, to keep us all safe and to, to stop drivers who may be impaired from from driving. Um, but, you know, TSA is a similar kind of thing. You know, when we travel, we uh, we can be searched. And, uh, you know, that's, that's for our safety. We give up some rights in that respect. Um, and that's just, uh, unfortunately, now part of our, uh, how society is these days. But, um, yeah, so I, I always find that interesting. But I do think, you know, as long as the police don't discriminate and, you know, pick certain people to, to, to do in the checkpoint, as long as they stop everybody, I think it, it is okay. You're absolutely right. Uh, it's either every vehicle, every second vehicle, every third vehicle. But it has to be consistent and random. It can't be targeted well, without probable cause. All right. Well, we're talking with attorney Francis Springer, former deputy sheriff, about situations you or a loved one might find themselves in during the upcoming holidays. Please give us a call and call us now before the end of the program at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 for your questions. You could also send us an email. Our address is legal terms at mpbonline.org. What are some ways you can avoid legal problems this holiday season? We'll tell you after the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.
You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. There are many different podcasting platforms. I happen to like Podcast Addict, but there's Stitcher, there's Google Play. You can download it to your phone. Touch the plus that takes you to a page to search for podcasts. Then you type in in legal terms in the little search area that has a little, I don't know, what do you call it? A Sherlock like Holmes magnifying, magnifying glass. glass. Yeah. Uh, and it, it'll bring up in legal terms and you're able to touch the photo. Then you can hit subscribe if you like. And that'll bring up... A, let you be notified when there are any new episodes loaded up. This morning we're talking about holiday season legal possibilities with our guest attorney Francis Springer. And uh, here's a factoid for you. Americans can reduce the toll of drunk driving this holiday season by never drinking and driving, planning a safe ride with a designated sober driver, or by using this was interesting for me NHTSA, that's the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's Safe Rider app to call a taxi or have a friend pick you up. The app is available for Android devices on Google Play and Apple devices at the iTunes Store. And, of course, there's lots of Ubers and Lyfts that people might have uh, on their phones also. But if you have a question about legal issues this holiday season. We've been talking a little bit about what to do when you're pulled over. We've talked a little bit about DUI. And now we have a call that we're going to go to. Let's go to Tyler. Thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Hey, how you guys doing? The, uh, I have a question about firearms and vehicles, especially during you know the hunting season and everything else like that. Uh, when you have a firearm in the vehicle, say you're using, like, your parents' vehicle or something, and it has, say, a handgun in it or a rifle in it, and you're unbeknownst to it, and you're not legally capable of having that firearm, does that still fall on you if you're unaware of it being in the vehicle, or how does that really work? It can, because uh, that's what's known as a strict liability crime. There's nev- no intent or really knowledge necessary to be proven by the state. So if someone is caught with a firearm that would be in their possession, now that would be a question. And was it in their possession or not? But generally, if they're driving and it's in the vehicle, it would be in their possession. Uh, if it's in the trunk or something like that, that could be, you know, avenues there for, for expanding on possible defense. But, uh, yes, if you're prohibited from having a firearm and you are stopped and one's in the vehicle, you could be charged with that. All right. And for, uh, say, handguns in Mississippi, you have to be 21 in order to have it uh, with you or concealed or anything like that. The uh, If that's in the safe you have the person who's responsible for the weapon, but it's on your side of the vehicle. How does that work? Are you still liable for it, or is that okay in the eyes of the law? Again, that's going to be something that's going to depend on, on many factors. Number one, you know, the officer that discovers that, will they want to charge that? Uh, if it's actually in the control of the person who's authorized to have it, my argument all day long would be it's not in the possession of the other person. 
Uh, of course, that comes from facts. You know, where it's sitting, where the other person was sitting. Does the other person know it's there? Can they show that it's their firearm? You know, things like that will come into play. But just to be safe, it's best for a person that's prohibited from having a firearm from being around one at all. All right. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you, you, Tyler. We appreciate you calling in. You know, it didn't even occur to me. Well, I, I personally am not a hunter, um, but, you know, it's hunt, it's hunting season. It's hunting season. And so can you, you don't, do you have to have a, how does it work to have a gun in hunting season? In Mississippi, you can have a, a firearm in your vehicle at any time, as long as you can legally possess the firearm. Uh, there are very few restrictions to that, and most of those are federal installations, such as military bases. And then there are times you can go on the military installation with a firearm. But hunting rifles, shotguns are really no different under the law than a handgun, so they can be in the vehicle at any time. Uh, it's probably best to have them unloaded uh, because accidents can happen and uh, you don't want to have an accident with a loaded firearm but that's up to the individual they're going to be responsible for what happens and the way they travel but it's not illegal Francis you know you you do criminal defense generally we talked about um, you know specifically DUI and and traffic stops but uh, you know if when a client comes to you you know obviously then that's a scary time for them they've been arrested they're part of the criminal justice system what are some of the first things you do with a client when they come to your office? Well, one of the first things, obviously, we do is, is get to know each other. I want to make sure that the client's comfortable with me, and um, I'm generally comfortable with anybody. But there, you know, there may be a problem there between the two of us. And if that's there, that's a lawyer that that person doesn't need. Beyond that, we we make some specific ground rules. There are no statements made about the arrest to anyone at any time. So that's number one, and that's really something that should happen before the person gets to my office. You have the right to remain silent, and most people need to use that right. There's a case, I don't have it in front of me, but it's a fairly recent case, I think it's 2015 from the United States Supreme Court, where they, the justice, and I wish I had brought that, but he basically reaffirmed that the Fifth Amendment is intended, which the Fifth Amendment is what gives you the right to remain silent, is intended for innocent people, not guilty people. So just because someone chooses to remain silent does not indicate guilt at all. Beyond that, we get into the facts of the arrest, the facts of the charge, what was happening then, and um, to some degree, whether it was committed or not. And I say to some degree because sometimes what I'm specifically looking at is did the police do their job right? And because it's it's a rule game. It's kind of no different than a football game. If the uh, other side makes fouls, well, they're going to be called on them. So there are a lot of things to look at like that. And I'm not encouraging criminal behavior by any means, but I'm also encouraging a restrictive government and that everybody play by the rules. And that's that's what I've heard defense lawyers say regularly. Is we're, our job is to make sure that the prosecutor and the police play by the rules. And I think a lot of people will, will say, "Well, how can you defend you know someone who's accused of a crime? How are you going to help somebody get off when they're a criminal?" That's really that's not your job. Your job is to make sure that, as you mentioned, uh, that the police play by the rules. And that's that's our system. That's how our system works. Exactly. Everybody has rights, and and everybody's rights should be guarded, even those that are convicted. And uh, if we don't do that, we run the very serious risk of all becoming the focus of the government, and that's something that's a dangerous place to be. 
Now let's let's talk about it because you have been a police officer and and you've been on that side of it. Uh, what you know? How much force can a police officer use? When when should a police officer use force? Uh, a police officer will use force anytime the force is necessary for an arrest or to get compliance with an individual. Uh, the courts have reasoned that that judgment is best left to the reasonable police officer. And it's hard for a person who's never been there to understand what that officer is dealing with and having to actually take a person away from their freedom, away from their rights. And it's a it's a difficult time. It's also extremely difficult when that person may be trying to harm you or someone else. So the officer can reasonably use anything up to actually deadly force to prevent the infliction of death or serious injury on them or someone else. And that's a case-by-case basis. It just has to be judged on the facts of each case. So how do, how do you, as an attorney, now on this side of the, the, the law, when, you know, the, in your practice, if you've got a client that comes to you, how do you determine whether the police made a mistake in using force or made a mistake in, in the way they behave? What, what are some of the things that you look at? Fortunately, we're in 2019 fixing to go into 2020. So there are a lot of videos out there. There are a lot of audios. And those help a lot to determine if the right thing was done on both sides. Uh, I'll give my sheriff, uh, Billy Siley, back in Lauderdale County a lot of credit. One of the first things he got his deputies, uh, I believe it was in 1998, were dash cameras, in-car cameras. They were black and white. They were VHS, but they were really good. And uh, most of us got to the point where if our camera wasn't working, we weren't working because he would stand behind us as long as we were right. And if we had that video to prove it, it was much easier. So one of the biggest things is that, is video. And there are a lot of police officers that are recording. There are a lot of cameras uh, in convenience stores and businesses that are recording. So that's one of the first things I look for is to see if there's any video, depending obviously on the on the scenario and the seriousness of the event. Uh, other than that, I look at the client's statement, what happened to them, and see if uh, any unreasonable force was used or anything like that. And it just goes, it could go a million ways from there. That's well, really, it's really, it's fascinating. And I think your perspective, having been um, in law enforcement, um, it's got to be helpful. Did you ever think that you would, uh, while you were in law enforcement, that you would become a defense attorney? <laughs> Ironically, I always had respect for defense attorneys. I never really, uh, I guess when I was younger, running the streets at 100 miles an hour. I think the statute of limitations has passed. I can say that. (laughs) Uh, I never really thought about myself being one early in my career, but I always had a respect for defense attorneys because they had a job to do, and uh, they were checking me. And if I did my job right... And I go right back to the video. I had uh, one of my first DUIs was .000, but the uh, poor gentleman was under the influence of other drugs. And uh, he had the best attorney in town, but we still had a guilty verdict because he was impaired. So the defense attorney has a job to do, and it's, it's nothing personal. And, again, it's just guarding the system to make sure it's fair for everyone. All right. We'd like for you to call in with your questions when we come back from the break. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 
672-7464. You could also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. It's very sad, but is anyone out there thinking about divorce during the holidays? We have a few ideas you might consider. We'll get to them after the break. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me on the show each week are healthcare professionals who add their expertise to the discussion. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows, and also find us on your favorite podcasting app. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And um, here's some suggestions on if you're if you're not getting along too well with the spouse. Here are some reasons not to file for divorce during the holidays. Bonuses. You might be due half of what is earned by your spouse. So wait till you get to the end of the year. Also, at time to unwind. You might gain some important perspective just by getting through the holidays and waiting. Very true. Uh, Professor Gershon, this one you might could speak to taxes. Uh, it might be a little bit more uh, clean and tidy if you started thinking about divorce at the beginning of January so that you have a distinct line for you and your spouse to divide assets and to file independently in the future. And also, um, uh, it's a, in the holidays, it's best to avoid dangerous habits. Uh, avoid consuming too much food, too much liquor, or shopping as a consolation prize from wanting to be divorced. So trying to, I guess, self-medicate that could do harm to the rest of your life. Or get married, I guess, in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't jump into getting married either. Yeah. We're talking with attorney Francis Springer from the Springer Law Firm about issues to be mindful of this holiday. Uh, One thing that I had a question about is when people share custody and they have custody agreements, what could be something they could do if something unexpected comes up during the holidays? Oh, I wanted to take them to Mama's this year, but you have custody. What What is some ways to be uh, not ecumenical, but, <laughs> right, but right. ways to get along with a, a divorce with children's custody? I would have to say, on my experience, the the best thing is to have a good attorney represent you when the child custody order goes in. That's usually at the divorce, because these are things that have to be thought out in advance. Um, there are very few judges that are going to modify a custody order over a holiday. As a matter of fact, the law necessarily won't allow that. So those are things that have to be thought out. Now that being said, the court's not following everyone around to say, "Are you following my order?" 
to the T. If it can be worked out, you know, the, the parents can do that. With the children, they can do that. But just keep in mind that the court's going to enforce that order. So if they do have to come into the situation, that order's going to be held as binding law between the two. So get your holiday traditions on uh, who who's going to Aunt Mimi's or Uncle Bubba's. Uh, get that in the child custody agreement to begin with. Yes. We've got a call. We're going to go to Gulfport. Let's go to Chuck. Chuck, thanks so much for calling in this morning. Go ahead. Uh, yes, ma'am. I've uh, I've got a daughter that hasn't followed the law exactly. And going back to the vehicle questions, uh, she's, uh, you know, uh, like I'm, it, it's my vehicle. She's used it, and I'm more concerned about if she possibly dropped a pill or some marijuana seeds or something in the vehicle and I get in it and I don't find it before I, I leave. What uh, you know? What, what can I do about that if I was to get stopped and then get get for that reason? That's a good question, Chuck, and thank you for making it. That's a, that's another real life event that people have to consider, and this goes to very similar to the firearm. This was called a strict liability crime. So simple possession without intent is enough for a conviction. So even if someone else left it there, or it actually is someone else's, or maybe if it's not, the person that's caught with that in their possession can be charged and likely convicted on that. Okay, so I, just make, I need to make a real good vacuum run then. Definitely, okay. definitely. All right, well, thank you. Thank you, Chuck, for calling in. That's a great question, but also you know, the... Uh, you do family law as well. We, we did. I don't know if we we mentioned that as well as criminal law. Right. When when a, a what what advice do you have for a client that you know is upset because their spouse is not um, keeping their agreement in terms of child visitation? What what should they do? What they can do depends on on what they've got in place. If if they have any kind of permanent restrictive order or even a temporary restraining order that's being violated, they can call the police and the police will enforce that as long as it's issued properly by a court. Other than that, it's something that's going to have to be really worked out in the civil realm and hopefully has been before. And if it's violated, the person who has been violated can take the other party back to court for contempt. And they prove their case to the judge. If the judge finds them in contempt, they're usually awarded their attorney's fees for having to take that to court. So if there's a violation of any order, whether it be child support, child custody, or whatever, it's generally enforceable by the court upon a contempt filing. So it's really, you know, if you, I guess it's one of those things that you wish people would uh, just realize that the divorce is the end of the marriage and that, that the kids shouldn't be used as pawns. But unfortunately, I'm sure you see it in your practice that that's not always the case. Well, unfortunately, I do, but also that judge does. And the, the concern for any child or child custody agreement or child support in Mississippi is the best interest of the child. So parents, unfortunately, sometimes do fight each other and use the children. All the chancellors that I know of, Chantry Court judges, take a very dim view of that, and they will rule accordingly. Now, if, so what, what should uh, the I mean, over holidays, how do people work out those that visitation agreement? Because that's 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 challenging. It is challenging, and and usually it's worked out uh, again when the order is put into place. 
And that's why I recommend anyone have a, a knowledgeable family law attorney that can word the agreement where it fits. It's not going to fit every situation, but it's it's lax enough to where it can fit over holidays as the dates change. I know there are some different religions of, of different people. You have Hanukkah, Christmas, and all those that conflict. And those provisions need to be made at the outset because it's very difficult to get that changed once it's in and signed by the judge. But again, you know, if the parties can work it out without the the uh, input of the court and everything's fine with everyone, the court's not going to follow around and say, hey, are you doing what I said? Well, we only have two minutes left. We could have gone an entire extra hour. You know, we didn't even get into the holiday speeding, the pullover. Uh, if uh, if there's a police officer on the side of the road, you need to make sure to give them a wide berth when you pull over. Host liquor laws. What's what's leave us one piece of advice to keep folks uh, on the right side of the law these next couple of weeks. Do the speed limit on the way home with no alcohol and move over if you see a stopped uh, police car or slow down. Maybe that gets it. <laughs> we appreciate that you, you you being here today. and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. We want to make sure that everyone has a safe and happy holiday season. We want to make sure everyone try to follow the rules. Don't, don't drink and drive. Make it a happy holiday season. That's just it. There's, there's plenty of ways to get around drinking and driving. You can drink if you want, but just don't drive. Think of, think of what, what would your mom say if they have to come bail you out. Exactly. Do a lot of mamas? Is it mamas who have to come? Uh, mamas, wives, uh, but there's always the checkbook. The checkbook's got to look at you like no one else will because it's going to cost if you do get arrested for a what are, what are some of the fees? That didn't even occur to me. Well, there's bond. You have to bond out in most cases. Then uh, if you hire an attorney, which I recommend anyone do, you're looking at probably 2500 to 5000 right there. That's an expensive pina colada. That's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Professor Gershon, we are so glad that you're always with us uh, up in Oxford. We couldn't do the show without you. Well, it's my pleasure. I hope, I hope you both have uh, a, a merry, I'll say merry Christmas to both of you. And happy yeah. Hanukkah. That starts on Sunday? It does. Soon. I can't believe it. Oh, fantastic. Well, have a great one. I hope you get lot, lots of gifts all, for all the days. That's going to wrap us up for In Legal Terms today. We thank Francis Springer from the Springer Law Firm for being on our show. We thank uh, Michelle McAdoo, Java Chapman, and Jay White for helping us out here in Jackson. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. We hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. No, not next Tuesday. Next Tuesday is Christmas Eve. We'll have some special Christmas Eve programming. That's right. On MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 